The following views and opinions expressed on Joy Has Questions podcast are not to be confused and or affiliated with any other corporations, companies, businesses, LLCs, and any other acronym that you can possibly think of. Basically, these are my own opinions on my own platform. And now everybody, let's get on with the show. Hey, good people. It's your girl Joy Has Questions, dropping some new fire for you all to listen to for the week. Starting with, you guessed it, you better know. Super simple question. How did you open doors before 1878? Or even, I'll even take a, a super recent one. Sis, when you were ready to walk out on that Negro, you're like, I have had enough of your shit, Tyrone. And you go to slam that door and you go to touch that doorknob, then you need to be thankful to the king, the greatness, the ancestor, Osborne Dorsey, who is the reason why we can close doors. Because this man literally is the reason why there are doorknobs and doorstops. Let me get this, you know, really into the dun-dun-dun. That's right, people. A black man invented doorknobs and doorstops. I think that is phenomenal and super, super important. Here's why. So Osborne Dorsey, his birth date is unknown because, you know, racists didn't think it mattered to track when black people came into the world. So the best estimate that I was able to place this king was born around 1862. Um, Based on timing, I'm going to guesstimate that more than likely he was a slave. Like, I just don't see him being free in this time frame. Um, I struggle to honestly find anything on him. But what it seems is that when he submitted his patent in 1878, that was like basically how any sort of historians got basic information on his life. And it wasn't even any information in terms of what he did for a living. Looking on the interweb, I couldn't find anything there. But in addition to making the doorknob, he also is the originator of the doorstop. So while a lot may view his contribution as like simplistic or so what, it was ingenious, y'all, because it instantly provided a way for people to increase security in their homes. It gave people a way to really move society forward with just basic creation. And let's be honest. Nowadays, doors, when you think of architectural digest or this old house or, you know, whatever, doors are those door frames. Those are the first things like, oh, God, look at look at the molding. Look at the the carpentry, the doorknob. It's just it's, it's so ornate. These are things that really, you know, mark a home and not even just like in terms of like, oh, this is, you know, a popular doorknob for black people. This is universal. So when you're also looking at this contribution, before this invention, people used latches to secure their homes and leather straps as handles. And for black people, it was nine times out of 10 putting cloth into whatever that hole was because you could not afford either. This king died in September of 1913. And although I wish there was more information I could provide, just the fact that I can go into any store look at any standing building and know that it was a black man that in his own way contributed to this world empowers me so much more. It makes me want to take my place as I really hope it makes you want to do the same. And let's get on to the rest of Joy Has Questions because we got a good one coming up, y'all. Hello, everybody. It's your girl, Joy Has Questions. You know I love a good remote interview because that means that we are getting some black girl magic from outside the city of Chicago, and I love, love highlighting people all across this amazing country. Um, 
I have this young woman right here who, when I tell you she is killing it, edges for days, gorgeous smile, definitely has energy. You know, I love, love looking at her brand. So I have the amazing Dawn Myers here today, and I'm going to let you, you know, basically say hello to everybody and, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. So hi, Dawn. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on, first and foremost. Um, so my name is Dawn Myers. I am founder and CEO at The Most. Um, the Most is a platform that designs, engineers, and manufactures hardware um, that helps women of color in particular embrace their natural curl patterns and style their hair a lot faster and makes it just a little bit easier for us to live our lives with our natural hair. So first and foremost, I think that is phenomenal. And even the fact that you you thought to jump into this space, because let's be honest, like our hair is tied into, you know, our beauty, our own self-esteem. It's more than just saying like, oh, I'm just going to roll out of bed. And a lot of times or too many times, there's nothing that highlights that for women of color, especially by women of color, you know. We have the the history of like Madam C.J. Walker, and that's great. You know, we have like other, you know, current modern day examples. So even in looking at you and how you started this journey, like where did you originate from? Like how do you, how do you feel your own upgrade, upbringing helped, you know, shape your current aspirations or your business or brand? Uh, it's a really profound question, right? Because I really believe that everything I've gone through, everything as seen every experience has really kind of rolled up and led me to uh, this vision and this moment and this work. Um, so I'm from DC originally. Um, hey. I don't know if you're, yeah, I don't know if your listeners, um, how familiar they are, but um, I'm from Southeast DC and I'm really proud of that. Girl, I'm, I love you know, bus boys and poets. U Street yes. is my jam. So. Yes. I was just listening to one of your episodes recently and you were talking about bus boys. And I was like, yeah, it's bus yes. spot. So, you know, um, DC is like very much ingrained in my DNA. But, you know, DC 20 years ago, um, when I was growing up, was a kind of conservative place for black people, right? Like, we are very. Um, you know, D.C. is a government town. Mm -hmm. It can be a little just more on the conservative side, right? And so I think a lot of black families uh, experience this, but for my family and this region in particular, like, it was completely sacrilegious for you to, like, leave the house without your hair being, like, completely 100% mm -hmm. late. And I remember growing up and literally like, I felt like I couldn't leave my bedroom you know, unless my hair was completely flat ironed and perfect. Um, and that kind of translated throughout the rest of my life. Like, I didn't feel like I could leave my dorm room um, unless my hair was perfectly laid. Um, and that does something to you, right? When you feel like you need to kind of chemically kind of alter the heat, um, the nature of your kind of body, right, in order to be seen as, like, acceptable. Right. And so... You know, I never really, like, could put my finger on it, but I always knew that I had, like, I, there was this lack of comfort, you know, with my aesthetic. And it's not that, you know, I used to run my hands through my hair as, you know, people who are who are familiar with new growth um, or with relaxers. You know that feeling when you've got that new growth and you can start to feel your, your real kind of hair growing through. And I was obsessed with it, but I literally was not allowed to embrace it. You know, my parents would, like, chide me if... 
um, you know, I let my relaxer grow out for too long. And it was just like very clear to me that like that wasn't acceptable. And so at a certain point, I just kind of got really tired of it. And I cut all of my hair off and my family wow. and my friends were like flabbergasted. I remember there's this one guy I was in law school at the time. And this one guy made this like sideways comment, like that was a big mistake. Wow. Um, and people feel, you know, like people feel the, the, liberty to like comment on black women's you know personhood or the um, entitlement right you know like there's this entitlement to like tell us what we can and what we won't do um and from that time like i just really became just really obsessed with my natural hair right because it was about so much more than a hairstyle for me it was about feeling comfortable in my skin it was about you know um kind of seeing my intrinsic worth it was about embracing my not just my hair but like my facial features right mm -hmm. I realized that once I grew my hair out like it complemented my skin and my hair and my nose and my cheekbones in a way that straight hair never did um and so you know for me doing this company you know I just I, I've watched all of these beautiful black women in awe right as we make this transition and we start to embrace our natural hair um and we love our hair but it's right. hard it's really really hard um and I got tired of waiting for manufacturers to make a solution what I realized after a while is that manufacturers you know the L'Oreal's the Unilever's the Procter & Gamble's they have absolutely no idea what a wash day is like or what it's like traveling with natural hair or working out with natural hair they have no idea what we go through and so they can't provide solutions but um you know because i have this familiarity and because i have this business background and this legal background and i have all of these skills and experiences that um just really put me in this unique position to be able to uh create these solutions and so i did uh, first off kudos to you I don't even know where to begin like in terms of, of how to to dive into that I think just first and foremost you hitting on the fact of even as a child you know it's just a matter of it is ingrained in us in terms of what is considered beautiful within society you know and, and mm -hmm. sadly it is not us and we don't see that and it, it's not even our our parents or our upbringing trying to, you know, be bad or traumatize us. But this is a societal thing, you know, and even yeah. when you, you mentioned the legal aspect of it to the point that our hair has to be a law, you know, in yeah. terms of us even being able to be in professional spaces. There yeah. are, are those moments that I know, you know, our white counterparts or other counterparts are going, to, oh, oh my God, I haven't balayaged or I haven't lifted my hair for the season. Is this going to impact how people look at me in, yeah. in the workplace? Whereas with us, it's like, oh, do I get the braids? I just got the job. They saw me with straight hair. Do I switch it up? You know, or mm -hmm. the entitlement to always say something. The fact I can't even imagine what it would have felt like in that space to have someone literally tell you like, well, child, you made a mistake. Like, how do you tell someone they made a mistake with their own autonomy? Or their mm -hmm. own person. I don't walk in, you know, or I'm sure you didn't walk in the spaces going, girl, you wore those shoes with that dress? No. Like, so right, how do you, right. you then turn around and have to endure that? So I think it's amazing that you were taking those lessons, the good and the bad, that pressure, and you actually then were like, let me, you know, join everything that I've ever done to make a brand that is, is, it is a form of protest. It's a form of it revolution is. to make specifically black women feel good about themselves. So mm -hmm. looking at your, your resume, because it is stacked, 
Like you, you just said it yourself. Like you have a legal background. You know, I looked in, I saw you had, you know, a real estate aspect. Now you're moving firmly into, you know, this entrepreneur space and hair care. Um, you just launched. So what was it that made you want to dive into entrepreneurship? Like, and why is it important for you to push this message within our community? Girl, um, yeah. So, you know, I'm making hair tools for black women, mm-hmm. but that's only, you know, that's just a, that's really kind of the, the, the more detailed piece of it. I mean, writ large, I'm really interested in making the entrepreneurial ecosystem more welcoming um, and more compatible with, with black women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, so you mentioned that I have this legal background. I went to law school. I hated it. Um, you know, worked on the Hill and, you know, worked on campaigns, worked on various campaigns. In, oh, in wow. Yeah. Um, and I did all these awesome things that weren't exactly where I needed to be, um, but I learned a lot of really great skills, right? Um, so in politics, in kind of government affairs, et cetera. Uh, and that was really interesting work because it taught me organizational behavior and organizational dynamics and you know, KPIs and mm. uh, just kind of hitting your marks and, and really, uh, you know, uh, was great kind of uh, business experience, right? I was this lawyer and I was around lawyer uh, legal issues, but the crux of my career at that point was business. Um, and that was great for me because, um, you know, I, I think black women are at a bit of a disadvantage in the entrepreneurial ecosystem because yeah. a lot of investors don't take us seriously. And I have had to really uh, cross my teeth, dot my eyes, and make sure that every step we take, every uh, way in which we present ourselves is the pinnacle of professionalism. And that background, um, the combination of those two has really helped me do that. Um, and that's not what I was supposed to be doing with my life, as I said, but um, it was great, great, great foundation. And then, you know, from there, while I was at the firm, I started developing real estate. I'm in D.C. As, I mean, if anybody familiar with D.C. knows, you know, real estate is what we do here. Definitely. Um, everybody with a job is, is buying a property and trying to flip it, right? So, um, you know, that's what I did. I was, you know, buying properties, um, kind of chopping them up into multi-units, um, kind of, you know, uh, just uh, kind of going into my old neighborhood, going into Southeast, like right across the street from where I went to elementary school and just like beautifying it, right? Um, and I really believed in this thesis that, People shouldn't have to spend, you know, a million dollars for two bedrooms um, just to get something that looks halfway decent. Exactly. We should be able, you know, like in our neighborhoods, we should be able to have a well manicured lawn and, uh, you know, character in our in our houses, a kind of well taken care of, curated uh, environment uh, at an affordable price point. And so that's what I did. I went into these neighborhoods. I would kind of chop up these uh, these 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 uh, buildings or these houses and put them back on the market, but make sure that we kept the price point uh, at a decent place where people, you know, who look like me could still live in those neighborhoods. So that was really important um, work for me. Uh, but the fact of the matter is real estate is really, 
it's a, I don't know if it's dangerous for for a young woman to be engaging in, but the fact of the matter is, I was kind of on these work sites late at night with a lot of strange men, right? Um, and I loved that work, but what I realized is that after a certain point, like this was just a little untenable for me, um, and I ran into a couple of situations that didn't quite feel safe. So um, at that point, I started looking at other opportunities um, to kind of flex this entrepreneurial muscle. I started joining entrepreneurship groups. I started learning about startup culture and this notion of bringing something into the world that's different, that's new, that moves us forward in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to think about black hair and the fact that nobody else is thinking about it in this way. Um, I started thinking about the fact that black women, uh, certainly everyone else, but black women even have, we have kind of resigned ourselves to this notion that our hair is just always going to be harder. It's always going to take more time. Um, And I realized that the only reason we think that way is because the tools aren't out there to help us do this approach differently. Um, and that's when I started kind of looking into kind of engineering contractors and, and designers and, uh, you know, putting a team together that could help me bring this to life. I think the even in terms of looking at the fact of even taking that from two pieces, number one, it was the fact that you were willing to do the work for the research. And I think that is a step that a lot of times um, people kind of overlook right? And it's just a matter of like, I have this idea and I just want to jump and be super successful at it. But you have to be willing to, A, put in the work to make sure that you're researching, that you're looking up the market. Like you said before, those KPIs that are going to matter, that you're hitting those. If you're not, how then do we revise the strategy so that we can hit them? And then secondly, you mentioned the team. I think it is super important when you are are trying to build something especially when you're trying to build something bigger than yourself because let's be honest you could with your skill set with your resume you could just focus on money and be kicked back and live in like george and wheezy jefferson like sure could (laughs) right you know but when you're adding in that that component of compassion when you're adding in that component of educating other community members so that everyone can start to create equity for themselves and feel good about themselves it becomes something that is deeper than a a bank account so when you are looking at um, the team or the aspect to pivot how do you basically or how did you I should say get past those days that were hard when it was just like, okay, I know I'm doing this for something bigger than myself, but woo child, I'm tired. Or I don't mm. think it's moving as quickly as it should be. How do you, you know, battle um those thoughts or feelings? Yeah. You know, um, President Obama said something over the course of his administration uh, that really resonated for me once I started um, in entrepreneurship. And that was, you know, when things get hard, when things get tough, you focus on the work, you do the work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is really hardware slash manufacturing operation uh, that is uh, focused on black women first. Um, Those two things make this just an insane uphill battle, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be harder for me to get funding. It means that, you know, the spell is going to be more difficult. It just means that it's just going to be difficult for me, right? Um, But what really keeps me grounded is just focusing on the work every day, putting one foot in front of the other. And what I find is it gets hard, right? I definitely have at least once a week that moment where I'm like, man, 
Um, but uh, when you put one foot in front of the other, when you keep moving, things have no choice but to unfold in a positive way. And there's always something uh, positive, encouraging. There's always some kind of upside on the other end of that work. Um, sometimes you see the benefits of it, you know, immediately. Sometimes you see it three months down the road. Sometimes you see it a year down the road. But uh, that cumulative effect of constantly putting in the work and having your head in the game, it, um, it just it, 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 it builds a momentum that you can't really stop. Right. And I mean, even, you know, what I'm hearing or how I translate it is the consistency, you know, and having yeah. having the mindset of, some days you're going to get 20 things done. Some days you're going to get two things done. But the fact of the matter yeah. is, as long as you are continuing to move forward, that is as what matters. And I even think one thing that I even heard you say, like maybe a couple of questions ago, was the fact of there isn't really a path or, or like you said, like any direction for women of color in terms of entrepreneurship. Like I can tell you right now, there are no way that these VC that, you know, venture capitalists are going, you know, we really want to figure out what black women, <laughs> you know, how do they do business or how do, how do we, you know, really engage with them? That's, it's amazing when you see Serena Williams, that's like, no, I'm going to start a company that is like over the next couple of years going to invest in nothing but black women and women of color, yep. you know, it's fun, yep. but she's one. But when we start to think about the larger landscape, it very much so is the good old boys club followed by who are the handful of selective, you know, white women that we might, you know, take in, into the fold or the consideration. But at the bottom, it is always us, you know? So always. that is a, a huge, you know, I don't, I don't even want to say hurdle, but it is something that can be daunting and that you have to just, you know, take it in stride and realize even despite the things I have stacked against me, I am still going to move forward towards the greatness that I know is supposed to be mine. Um, yeah. So even when, you know, just looking in terms of the, first off, I love that it's called the most. I'm like, oh, drama. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's something that makes me think of, you know, it's a colloquialism. It definitely is, is kind of like that, not super in your face way, but letting them know like, oh, this is a black thing. Like this, is a, you know, <laughs> this is for us. So what made you, yeah. you know, choose the most as, as the brand name and, and why, you know, it was that something so important for you for it to have like that, that kind of sauce or that spice? Yeah. Yeah. So I get this question a lot and um, there are a few things that contributed to, you know, the, the nomenclature that we selected. So um, the first of them is I am a skincare fanatic, right? So I'm 34. And, um, I don't know, something happened a couple of years ago where like my skin just didn't have it anymore. And I just mm -hmm. started like really getting into like skincare and now I'm like obsessed with it. And all of these brands out there, um, are really, you know, in skincare, it's about, um, luxury. It's about, uh, you know, getting your, uh, your, your customers interested. It's about pulling people in, you know, uh, the skincare industry is just a great kind of case study in branding, uh, because, you know, it's, uh, one of those areas where everyone's making something very similar, right? A moisturizer is a moisturizer is a moisturizer at the end of the day, but there are 7,000 different kinds. And somehow, you know, these brands find a way to differentiate. These brands find a way to pull the customer in. And so as I was developing this company, I was really looking to skincare to like think about their branding and think about how they did things. And a couple of things um, kind of stood out to me. One, 
black women, even if you look at like our highest end hair products, right? Right. Nothing really has a really kind of high end chic feel, right? Like nothing uh, screams Tiffany's or nothing screams expensive, uh, you know, pampering. Uh, I just don't get that experience, you know, like when I'm walking through CVS and like picking out my hair, creams, right? Or when I'm on Amazon and picking out my hair creams, even when I go to a Sephora, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There may be one or two brands that are specifically for people of color, but they kind of get the, you know, corner treatment, right? Where they're like tucked away somewhere. They don't. And and the branding is never quite the same. The feeling is never quite the same. So I really wanted to build a brand that gave black women this uh, feeling of luxury, this really luxurious uh, kind of experience. Um, And so that's one thing that I've been thinking about. And that's part of where the name the most came from, right? Like black women have always gotten the least. We've always kind of been packed over, even though we're the cornerstone of the hair and beauty industry, even though we spend nine times as much as anyone else in the country. You better rattle off uh, these facts, by the way. Like, come through. (laughs) Like, no, I have my statistics one after the other. You will not play me. (laughs) Yes, right? Like, it's it's crazy. We spend so much money uh, and we have so much buying power and they want our money, but they don't actually want to cater to us. Or our opinion. Keep buying. But, you know, we'll make the decision because, you know, if I'm going to give you my, I'm not even trying to cut you off, but this is something that has been on my mind. It it really just drives me nuts. It was an episode of um, Shark Tank. And I see them do this a lot Uh, and it reflects corporate America, but just, you know, people that have the the control and the power in general. And whenever it is a black brand, well, I'm in the the market for for people straightening their hair, not curling it. So I'm going to pass or, you know, another brand that was, and this is, you know, skincare based or makeup based. Well, you know, why are women going to get these super bright lipsticks? Like, you're just going to look like a bright cockroach. I, I will never, I couldn't believe he said that to that sister. Mm-hmm. I was like, do you know what a trigger to put cockroach in black people? There's a covenant against that with us. Like, yeah. to put us in yeah. the same, you know, sentence as that. And so it's just, it's fascinating to me still the mindset of like, well, if we don't get it, then it must not be as important, which is really disrespectful, you know, and and Mm -hmm. completely nonsensical when you look at, like you just said, how much money we spend in these industries. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, it's a big problem and we can't just keep waiting for these guys to solve the problem for us. They're not going to, they're not interested. They don't get our lives, Like it's just not going to happen guys. We've been waiting for millennia for, the, you know, somebody else to save our, to, to solve our problems. That's not how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this business is about, you know, killing two birds with one stone. Yes, we are solving a huge pain point in the lives of black women that the mainstream is never going to solve for us. But at the same time, we are also, uh, you know, creating jobs. We are also providing a roadmap to other black women-led companies. We are also, you know, trying to do our small part to, uh, you know, close the wealth gap and to give black women a safe space to build something that is for them, um, you know, professional life, you know, we've already talked about how difficult entrepreneurship is, but it's not like you can just go work in the work normal workforce and get away from those issues. It's bad there too. It's bad in corporate America. It's bad um, in the mainstream kind of workforce 
too, for a variety of reasons that I'm sure I don't have to tell your, your, your listeners, right? So, you know, we have to have something that we can fall back on. We have to have some avenue to, like, a livelihood where we're not being tortured <laughs> by, you know, all the issues that plague black women in the workplace. And so we're working really hard uh, to kind of create that, right? So obviously I'm, you know, CEO of my company, but I'm also in leadership at a nonprofit called Black Girl Ventures. Black Girl Ventures is a 501c3 that uh, kind of connects black women to uh, black women entrepreneurial and also that's amazing. Uh, kind of connects to resources and education. And that's really important work for me because, again, uh, you know, right now in building wealth, that isn't toxic to our mental health. Thank, okay, not going to have a testimony on this Sunday, but you hit it <laughs> on the head because not all money is good money. I think it is mm -hmm. so important that in the desire to build the equity and the desire to, you know, break these generational curses and the desire to, you know, protect ourselves to make sure that we're doing it in a way that also protects our mental health. Okay. There is no point if, if you are building the most, if I'm doing my brand, I don't care if you, you know, saw a, a gap in the, the, cotton tooth or rather you know q-tip industry whatever there's no point in in trying to develop your brand or business and on the back end you are losing your your damn mind like exactly and exactly. and a lot of times on and we see it and i'm just going to use this because it's the i guess the most culturally relevant especially with reality tv right so clearly you know after the first season people are making their money but it's like but at what cost like now you do have money for the equity side of things and, and you can start to maybe invest in the businesses that you really actually do give a damn about or, or whatever it is that you are passionate for. But then you also have to stay in this really high pressurized situation that nine times out of 10 wants to focus on the negative. And yeah. so I think it's amazing how you're saying like, even with, you know, this, this, uh, the 501c3 that you all are a part of, like Black Girl Ventures, and the fact of how the focus is to make sure that young queens get the resources that are necessary to help them build their careers, build their brands, mm -hmm. but also do it in a sustainable and healthy way. I love yep. how you're how it joins the two because a lot of times we do not talk about that. Yeah, and Joy, you should have been there because um, yesterday, I think, it was, yeah, it was yesterday. Um, so I launched my company Friday night, right? Big deal, you know, website. Gets Come on. Get sales. Yeah, it was a big deal. We had this awesome event, um, and I was exhausted. But the next day, we had an event for BGV, for Black Girl Ventures. It was our kind of training session to uh, basically we brought in, I think it was 25, 30 women, Black women from all around the country, from five different cities, and we're basically training them up on our model, right? How we kind of put on our pitch competitions, how we put on our programming, how we think about these things. And we're giving them the roadmap so they can take this model home and do the same thing and have that impact in their cities. Um, and it was this, I, obviously I had that launch the night before, so I'm a little tired, I'm a little groggy and I show up a few minutes late. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of like, you know, I go in, I walk into the room and I very kind of like hurriedly like rush to the front of the room so I can like start talking. Um, and I didn't really get to appreciate from the back, right. Like as, as I was trying to get to the front of the room, I, I didn't really appreciate it, but I, you know, go down, I'm pulling out my notes and then I look up and I see, like 
25, 30 black women's faces, all different colors, hair on sleek, right? Yes. We've got the big old afros, we've got all these different textures, we've got shaved heads, we've got different color ha- hair, and it just, like, choked me up for a minute because all of these women um, were stakeholders in their community. All of these women were ecosystem building, builders in their community who are committed to solving this problem. Um, and they were all so beautiful and they were all, you know, they're bright and early. They stopped their, what they're doing. They stopped their jobs. They stopped their caretaking responsibilities to be here um, and, to, and to try to help solve this problem, right? And it was just this really kind of emotional moment for me. Um, because at BJV, we've been talking about this for a long time. We've been talking about what it would look like if we had a whole universe, a whole country um, of kind of foot soldiers who are ready to do the work, and now it's happening, right? So I feel that to say um, anything any black woman gets her hands on, she's going to crush. Okay. Uh, that's what we do. We've done it, you know, in every industry, every profession you can think of. That is what we do. Um, and we're going to do it here too. It's going to take us a little while to really make those inroads, but you know, we're on the ground, we're making it happen and, you know, give us a few years. We're going to do the same thing uh, in this realm that we have in law, in politics and policy in tech everywhere in tennis in sports everywhere. Uh, So it's just a matter of time. I think it's, it's really amazing. Also two things I even will say with that is the fact of one, we are constantly in go, go, go mode. Like you had literally the launch of your baby. Like <laughs> that is, you know, yep. what you've been building for. And then the next day, like, oh, got to go to something else the next day, you know? So we are constantly in, and I hope you do. And now today you are recording, you know, and, I, and <laughs> I'm gonna let you go and roll around in bed in a couple more minutes so you can get back to your Sunday. But I think it's amazing to even, you know, comment on the fact that we are always in a go-getter spirit. We are always in, nope, I have this to do. I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to kill it. And I really hope that, you know, you do take the first off, if it had been my launch night, you couldn't have told me nothing. I'd have walked in like one of the muses from Hercules, like, girl, (laughs) let me get this harmony because I just did that. Okay. So, um, but then to even the next day walk in to a room, I, that to me is like a Duracell battery charge. Like that, I'd have just been like, well. I have all of the enrichment or the reminder, that direct reminder of like, this is why I'm doing this. This is what all my blood, sweat, and tears are going into to show this this array of melanin who are, are killing it and why we need to continue to speak up and to continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. So I think that mm-hmm. on your end is, is truly beautiful to see. Now, slightly Aww. shifting you know, shifting gears. Cause you know, I know that you are not all working no play. Cause I'm like, you, <laughs> let me tell you something. Give me a good go, go be, let me go, go down to U street. I forgot what that ice cream parlor is that I love that has this bomb ass rum raisin, but I'm like, you give me that. And like a nice set. And I am in heaven in, in DC. <laughs> but what are some things that when you're just like, okay, let me decompress. Let me have a, a good sophista ratchet time with my girls. Like, what is it that Dawn does to like kind of balance your personal and your professional? Yeah. Well, you know, I um, am an introvert. And so you're not going to find me out at the club. You're not going to find me at the bar. I just, I don't, it's, I don't know, man. It's like I hit 32 and I just can't wear a pair of heels anymore. <laughs> like, 
is just, um, you know, I need to like re-energize. Um, and so, you know, just things like, you know, a couple nights ago, uh, actually last night, my homegirl had a birthday party or a little birthday dinner. We went to Vasita right down the street. Um, and it was four of us, super intimate. Um, and just being able to like connect with my girls. Um, and be able to enjoy a good meal, that fills me up for a long time. Um, the food scene in D.C. has gotten ridiculous. Um, so there's <laughs> a lot for us to choose from, uh, and there's just, like, always new restaurants popping up. So that's become a little bit of a thing. That's definitely a big way that I uh, kind of decompress. Um, another thing that I do is ballet. Um, so I am not a dancer by kind of training or background. Um, but around, I was 29. I was just about to turn 30. And I had. I'm sorry, just, did you say ballet? Yes. Girl, ballet. you better come through center stage. That's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, well, don't, don't get too excited. I, I'm, I suck at it. But, no. Um, <laughs> I, it's definitely not. It's okay. So I've been dancing for just maybe four years. Um, right before I turned 30, I, uh, I had a big breakup. I was engaged to this guy. Um, I called it off. I had some family issues I was working through. I had a career that I was really unsatisfied with. I was just in a really, really, really bleak place. And, um, I was looking for something to hold on to. And I went to this ballet class at Washington Ballet and I fell in love with it immediately. Like, it was really hard, first of all, um, but it was, like, hard in a way that kept me from focusing on anything else. Like, it was all that I could think about for that half, for that hour and a half, right? So, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I go from, like, you know, obsessing over work emails and obsessing over, you know, my relationship and obsessing over all these things. I go into class and, like, all of a sudden, like, it all just kind of dissipated um, and it really focused me. And so... I really just, it almost became a, a little bit of a drug because that was the only time that I couldn't think about all of the things that were going wrong. And so I just kind of became obsessed with it. And um, I've been dancing, you know, I try to get in my like three to five classes a week, um, every week. And uh, I saw ballet. your clavicle girl is working. I was like, okay, someone is not skipping arm day, <laughs> but now I know what it is. Uh, <laughs> like that one time I tried to do a a, yeah. a Misty Copeland like oh get arms uh-huh. like Misty girl I walked out that gym so fast I was like so I'm gonna be in traction if I continue I <laughs> but no that's I know. super dope isn't it so crazy how intense it is because it looks so calm and it looks so simple but it is the hardest I'm an athlete it is the hardest thing that I have ever done in my athletic life people don't realize the amount of control that is required to mm-hmm. make you look like you are at the to make you look light or, or at the yep. real or floating and so they, and it, it to be quite honest it goes against physics like if you run yeah, across does. a stage and jump you're supposed to land hard not let me look like I just right. landed with no impact so right I mean I will never forget and this is also you know when people because Misty Copeland, you know, was highlighting like all these amazing, you know, dancers within like ABC or, or you know, just again, showing lack of diversity and how we need to change that there. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember like all these pictures were going viral. It's like, oh, what people think ballet is. And then it was another picture of like bloody toes and toenails missing. I'm like, my God, like mm-hmm. it is intense. But I, I love the fact of how 
you use that almost it was like cathartic or it was it was therapeutic for you to you know help process other aspects of your life yes yes it was and I gotta say you know my I have quite a few teachers that I enjoy and that have been really inspirational one in particular Aaron Jackson he is incredible he's there every morning and he is one of the few teachers that takes adult dancers and people who are learning as adults seriously. And he really pushes me and he pushes me to my limits. And um, he's just kind of a great training ground for entrepreneurship, right? Because I'm in class with all these dancers who've been dancing their entire lives, right? And I know that if I can get through that class, um, whatever I got to do in my entrepreneurial life, I can figure that out. Right. So it's really taught me to push myself. It's really taught me endurance. It's really taught me discipline. Um, and it's also really centered me. I love that. And I think also even now, um, especially with like Gen Xers and millennials, we are really in a space of just being like, look, this world is trying its hardest to drive us, you know, insane. What I'm not going to do is add to that. So if that means I take right. the 10, you know, minutes to Busa or I do an hour, you know, hip, you know, hip play class or pure bar or, you know, right. Barry's boot camp, whatever, then that's just what needs to happen. Um, so wrapping up, because I, I really, seriously, I love your energy. I'm like, when I come to DC, I'm like, hey, girl, like, I'm, a, yes. I'm, out, I'm in town. Um, but I do want to know, when, when you think about where you see yourself or where you want to go, what is it that you want, you know, Don Myers to be known for in terms of, of not only just as a brand, but as a, a woman, as a black woman, what do you really want yeah. people to, to think of when they think of you? I want people to think of, um, you know, following one's intuition, right? I followed my intuition mm. into the space. And it's no walk in the park. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done. But um, I am deeply satisfied with my life every day. Um, I want people, and, 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 and this isn't my space. I'm not a technologist by training, right? Uh, and there were a lot of people who told me, you're not an engineer. Uh, you know, you're not uh, a coder, you know, like this is not for you. Um, but I persevered in, in the face of that, right? And I want people, um, you know, to kind of use that as an example, hopefully, maybe one day um, to say, you know, she, she did it, we can do it, do it too, right? Like, I'm smart, but I'm, I'm average <laughs> in a lot of ways. I'm diligent, but um, diligence is a pretty kind of average trait, you know? If I can pull it mm-hmm. off, everybody else can pull it off too. Um, and if we had more black women who were empowered um, to move in this space, there would just be so much more innovation for our communities, and it would be a huge kind of uh, revenue generator for our communities. And so, um, you know, I want people to think about following their intuition. I want people to think about an advocate and someone who is staunchly and shamelessly advocating on the on the behalf of, of black women and, you know, trying to get us what we need, um, even when, you know, everybody else kind of writes us off. Those are, I think, if I, you know, have those two things on my headstone when I die, I think I'll be, I'll be quite happy. Following your intuition, number one, that's the title of this episode. I'm like, we just gonna coin that right then and there because I'm like, that's a word. Um, because how many times do we we beat down our intuition? We let other people project their yeah. own insecurities. We we do that double dutch, you know, BS where it's like we gonna jump in the road, we not gonna jump in, and then time goes by now we've talked ourselves out of it. So I think to see you 
stepping into the space and also not allowing yourself to be defined. Like, let me even just say this. I work for a tech company. I girl couldn't tell you what a plus B, whatever the platform, the program have no clue. I know I could sell it, you know, but at the end of the day, never let yourself be defined by what somebody else, you know, is telling you, you have to be. Because we constantly are proving society wrong. We constantly are being innovators. So as far as I'm concerned, you are a creative technologist. doesn't matter if you don't necessarily know how to, to put the mechanics, but you are creating the brainchild mm-hmm. and surrounding yourself with the team who can help that vision come to life. So, you okay. know, three years from now, when you're a gazillionaire, let me just hold $20, you know, just real light. <laughs> I don't... Or when you're about to go public, please tell me. Um, dividends matter. <laughs> Just so I can know where to, where to put my money. <laughs> um, but no, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. You definitely have put some wind under my sails because I was about to take a nap Aww. after this and be like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and finish this budget for myself. Um but I, I really loved hearing your story. I know my listeners are going to appreciate it as well. And continue on, sis, because it might seem like something that to other people is so trite and like, oh, hair is, is it, is it really that deep? But it is that deep because it is tied yep. into how we feel about ourselves. So congratulations. And I'm super, super proud of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means so, so much. Thank you for saying those really kind words. No, you got it. I'm like, I'm just trying to get like you in the arm space. I'm like, give me like four <laughs> months, girl, of working out and I'm gonna be there. So um that wraps up oh you are so welcome but that wraps up this episode of joy has questions in terms of the phenomenal uh interview with the creator of the most i had the pleasure speaking to don meyer so i will catch you guys next week bye hey everybody so my motivational message for this week is based on one of my favorite racists, Dr. Seuss. Um, Just got to call the thing a thing. Uh, Well, as he was known for making amazing cat in the hats and Horton Hears the Who, he also was known for making really racist African depictions. So thank you, sir, I guess. But no, um, outside of that, I really just wanted to pull from the quote where he says, where he says, today you are you, that's truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. This is one of my favorite mantras. It really has become a mantra for me just because of the fact, regardless of who it comes from, let's be honest, there are so many things in this world that are problematic and come from you know people that didn't necessarily see it for you know blackness or other marginalized groups in general. Um, and I'm still never going to stop getting emotional every time I read Rudyard Kipling's If phenomenal phenomenal body of work but in regards to dr seuss in this quote the reason why i have been saying that more times than not is because when you are in an environment that just completely does not see you does not understand you wants to project their own you know (laughs) insecurities and and fragility god their fragility onto you um it is so hard to like dig into yourself and, and dig past all the muck that they're trying to throw on you and remember who you are and remember that you're here for a reason and remember that your insights matter, that you matter, that you're amazing. Even if you're still in a space where you, you know, you don't know everything, you're not a hundred percent perfect. Welcome to, you know, the world. No one is, is perfect. 
But I say this all the time, and I hope if anyone else is having a a moment where they're just like, I can't, that they remember that as well. You are on this planet, and if you die tomorrow, there will be nobody else who will ever be on this planet that was 100% exactly you. I don't care if you see one of them little, you know, Lestat, queen of the dam looking pictures of Pharrell and then his doppelganger from 1695 that is still not for well that might be Pharrell um I don't trust him but outside of that and outside of the jokes I think it's just really important to remember and to always strive to figure out who it is that you want to be because if you're always chasing that person that you want to be you will always have the foundation of knowing what you deserve and what you will not fucking put up with Because nobody is youer than you. Your chromosomes are in divine order for a fucking reason. And don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let anyone's mediocrity take that away from you. Don't let anyone's projection take that away from you. Don't let anybody's, you know, lack of understanding or small-mindedness take that away from you. I hope everyone has an amazing week. If you aren't, maybe, you know, something I said or anything you heard, I hope it encourages you. And let's keep moving towards the greatness that we know that is ours. Bye.